Hi, everybody. Hello, it's Julia, and this is Undressing the Issue. Since we're in a new year, um, got lots of fun stuff I want to cover, but one of the things that people often talk about in the beginning of a new year is recommitting, New Year's resolutions, New Year, new me, all that jazz. I think it's all baloney, but I do think that it is a good opportunity to talk about commitment or recommitment, especially in our relationships. So commitment's a fun word, isn't it? It's terrifying for some people. But for other people, it's like, yeah, uh, been there, done that. People don't understand what that is. So why don't we jump into it? So what I want to talk about is what gets in the way of commitment, whether it's an internal factor or it's an external factor. But in order to talk about that, we kind of need to talk about what the hell is commitment? What does that mean? I am committed to what? An institution? Um, to a relationship? To a... Uh, a partner for today what is commitment so I think it's important to note that different people view this differently and I also think different cultures and different generations view this differently I know for example my grandparents commitment is for life you mate you partner for life even if it gets shitty even if you stop liking or even loving each other you don't split up. That's just not what you do. It's bad. It's wrong. You don't do that. So back then, those generations, commitment was for life, like penguins. So what is commitment today? Well, Esther Perel, who I love, love. I'm going to fangirl for a minute. She's amazing. Uh, if you've never heard of her, please check her out because she's incredible um, and if one day she somehow happens to listen to this, Esther, please know I love you. You're amazing. Anywho, back to commitment. So commitment is interesting. And Esther Perel has written about it um, endlessly. And she talks about it a ton. And she brings up a really valid point that in today's day and age, with women being much more independent and much more present in the workforce, it's no longer, you know, getting into a marriage or into a committed relationship no longer has the same, um, the same understanding, the same vibe, the same uh, motivations as it did long ago when it was a business arrangement, when it was essentially a merger, when it was a way for families to expand their wealth, um, things like that. We don't really do dowries anymore, at least not in the United States. And nowadays, people partner and commit out of love, meaning they want this person to be their best friend, their lover, their confidant, their co-parent, their, uh, their second hand when it comes to tasks around the house, whatever it is, someone who can share burdens with them and also share joys with them. It's this very fantasy-like ethereal concept nowadays of what love is and why we choose the partners that we choose. 
it's no longer, well, their family has a lot of sheep, my family has a lot of land. Clearly, this is going to be a good decision, so let's bring the two together and expand our family's wealth by uniting them, and then we procreate and life goes on. <laughs> it's very simplistic back then, but back then, people also understood that that's the arrangement going in, so the expectations were realistic. I don't necessarily expect you to be my best friend. Maybe I don't talk to you about everything, but there are other people around us that I get those needs met by. So it's kind of like the it takes a village mentality where for companionship and my confidants I get from my friends. Maybe uh, friendship and that type of connection I get from uh, extended family members or other members of my community, my neighbors whoever else, and there wasn't this expectation that this one person who I live with is going to do all of those things for me. Nowadays, that kind of is the expectation, that we live together, we have kids together, we talk together, we travel together, we enjoy things together, we share common interests, and basically we are attached at the hip. And oftentimes it's not how things work or it just doesn't work for both people the same way. And maybe, maybe, shout out to Esther, this could be part of the reason why we have such a high divorce rate is that people go in with this fantasy and all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, <laughs> that's not what this is. This is not a fairy tale. This is not magical. It's not easy. It requires work. And it's not always going to be what I need it to be. This person isn't always going to meet all of my needs. Maybe today this person's a great co-parent and a great friend, but is just not hitting, <laughs> hitting the mark as a lover. And they're not meeting that need. So to me, commitment is basically the understanding that we're in this together through the good and the bad, through the failures and the successes, that it's the through thick and thin mentality, that it's gonna require work, it's not always going to be awesome, it's not always going to be glitter and puppies and rainbows, and sometimes it's gonna be crappy, and that even in those times, I'm still in it with you. And I do want to give the disclaimer, however, that if somebody is abusive, and by abusive I mean physically abusive, sexually abusive, overly controlling, psychologically abusive, verbally abusive, that that to me is a breaking of the commitment. That they have, when you commit, when both parties commit, essentially you're promising each other to value, respect, and care for one another in the good times and the bad. And when you become abusive, and yes, I consider cheating to be abusive, you are breaking that promise that you made. Meaning you are no longer committed. So you cannot expect the other person to still feel obligated to stay. Through thick and thin, 
is, well, it's kind of a relative term because yes, there's going to be good times and bad times, but when the bad times are inflicted by your partner on you repeatedly, intentionally, that is abusive. That is not healthy. And that is a separate issue. But when it's, you know, we go through life and all of the curveballs that it throws at us together when we get sick or when we have financial difficulties and we support each other through that and we are a team and we are united in those efforts and we can talk about it and we can reassure each other and build each other up and be a shoulder to cry on, that's one thing. That's one type of bad time. But when one person is lying to the other, cheating, um, being abusive, that's a whole other ball game. To me, that in itself is a lack of commitment. So that whole commitment, vow, unified thing has already been broken. So if somebody chooses to stay with that person after they've been abusive and work through it and stay committed after that, to me, once that's happened, it's essentially a new commitment. Like you've recommitted. Now that this has happened, I've chosen to forgive you and give you the opportunity to basically do the work of restitution, of repairing and rebuilding and making me feel safe again after that. It's a new commitment. It's a new relationship, really. So to me, commitment is through thick and thin. And it's the idea of we're in it together, ride or die. As my friend said, it's not ride or I want to pull over or ride until I want to pull over. It's ride or die. I mean, you're not going to die necessarily, but you get the idea. So I, I guess this may be kind of an old fashioned perspective, but when somebody tells me I'm in a committed relationship, that's where my mind goes and it's going to stay there unless that person tells me otherwise or tells me that their definition for commitment is different. Commitment is we are together and we love each other, but we are also allowed to see other people and that's okay. And we have boundaries and rules around this. Okay, cool. If that is your version of commitment and that works for you, I'm down. If you have been able to navigate this successfully and it makes both of you feel happy and fulfilled and safe in your relationship, I am not going to judge. It's not for me to judge. I'm a-okay with it. To me, commitment is through thick or thin. And if ever there was a time where my partner came to me and said, hey, you know what? I love you and I'm committed to you. And I'm wondering how you would feel about some other arrangement in our relationship about exploring something else or opening up some part of it, I would totally be open to the conversation. I'm happy to consider it. I'm not dead set on this, but you've probably heard me say this before. If you unilaterally decide that all of a sudden you're going to open up your end of the relationship without letting your partner know and it's not negotiated or agreed upon, well, you're not opening up the relationship that's infidelity. And infidelity is a breach of your commitment contract. 
So now that we've ironed out what commitment is, or at least how I see it, now we can dive into what are some of the barriers to commitment? What gets in the way for people of remaining committed to their partners? So this is a huge question because <laughs> it's so different for everybody. And because there's so much that goes into this that you have to take into consideration, it can't be ignored. So one of the things that pops into my head as a barrier as soon as I say that even, is this sense that we have in this age of technology and social media and the internet of people being disposable. So you look at online dating, for example. You have hundreds of people on various different platforms with different rules and you know, payment structures and whatever else so that you can access just about anyone. You can get a date if you really wanted to. Um, you can talk to people. You can connect with people. People are much more accessible than they were back when I was entering into the dating world. Uh, back in the Stone Age when dinosaurs roamed the earth pre-internet, pre-cell phones, where you had to actually leave your home and go out to a public place to meet new people. I know, for millennials, this is a foreign concept, but stay with me here. This has happened in recent history, and this is what people did. They went to social functions. They went to parties. I feel like there were a lot more parties back then. They went to bars. They went to malls. They went to all sorts of different places where they knew people were going to be. I mean, the roller skating rink was like the spot. It was lit every Friday night because there were people and they'd bring friends and you had the opportunity to interact and meet others. There was no internet. It's what you had to do. It was kind of like the chat room of the late 80s, early 90s was restaurants, bars, roller skating rinks, the gym, wherever it is that you went, where people had common interests, where they would bring friends, where there were opportunities to socialize. So nowadays with online dating, you don't really have to do much. And in fact, you don't even have to really be yourself. You can just hop on your computer, create a profile, which could take, depending on how, um, how particular you are. I mean, it could take a few minutes. It could take you over an hour and depends also on how detailed you want it to be. And you could be whoever you want and you could start talking to people within a matter of minutes. You have access to people. So of course, if one person doesn't seem to completely fulfill whatever it is you're looking for, you're going to go on to the next one because there is a next one versus Back in my day, you meet someone and you start thinking, oh, okay, I mean, I know a bunch of other people and there are a bunch of other people here, but I kind of like this about this person and I like this and I'd like to get to know them better because it's not like we wore t-shirts with our profiles on them. You had to have a conversation. So that took longer and in taking longer, it's a bigger investment. So once you've invested more, you're probably more apt to give it a chance 
than you would be if you've only invested a couple of minutes chatting online or texting with someone who basically has their stats underneath their photograph. It's just not the same. But there is this disposable quality because of the access and because of the numbers. It's a numbers game. You could go to a social event back in my day and you're only going to meet a handful of people versus nowadays you can skim through hundreds of profiles online in your town or in a neighboring town or in a totally different state or in a different country even. The beauty of the internet. So there's this disposable aspect. And with that comes this mentality of the grass is always greener. Yes, I've been seeing this person and they're lovely and they're, physical attract they're physically attractive. They have a great personality, a good sense of humor. They have a decent job. Yet on the internet, I saw this other person who's just slightly more attractive and seems to be just a little bit more engaging and maybe there's this other slight insignificant attribute that seems more appealing i'm gonna go check that out it's that it's that availability and the abundance of availability that allows people to go hmm that looks better than what i have i think i'll go check that out I'm going to level up, <laughs> but you don't know if you're leveling up because it's the internet and anybody could be whoever they want on the internet, not necessarily themselves. So goes back to this disposable quality. And if people are disposable and if you're always going to be comparing or feeling like you're getting less than, or that there's something better out there, <clears throat> it's going to be pretty damn hard for you to remain committed. How am I supposed to stay with you and pick you all the time when there could be something else out there that's better, easier, faster, <coughs> more available. So makes it kind of uh, tempting to have the grass is greener mentality. The other factor is boredom as a barrier to commitment. I think people have this idea or this ideal that in a relationship, they're never going to be bored. They're always going to want to spend time with the other person and it's always going to be engaging and interesting and they're going to just be enthralled with one another all the time and learning new things about each other. And it's, it's just going to be this like whirlwind of discovery and it's going to be magical and we're going to be skipping and holding hands and having lots of sex through all of it. But the reality is in a long-term committed relationship, you get used to each other. You learn a lot about each other <clears throat> and it can get boring. You can start wondering about what would it be like? I, I don't even remember anymore what it was like to be single and to meet someone new. What would it be like to do that? Because this feels kind of stale. It's pretty predictable. I mean, it's comfortable. I know what I'm going to get, but it's also, I don't know, kind of boring. Well, I think that also acts as another barrier. What's boring about it? No matter what relationship you're in or with whom, it's going to come with its own challenges and... 
it's going to lose its luster after a while. The honeymoon phase is going to end and you're going to have to settle into the dynamics of a long-term relationship, which is basically my code for work. You're going to have to do some work to maintain a relationship, to keep it happy, to keep it interesting, to maintain a connection to your partner or partners. You're going to need to do some work there. You're going to have to take the initiative, start conversations, ask questions, express interest, make efforts to make one another feel loved and desired and important and cared for. Because when you settle in after a while, you kind of start feeling like, well, that's already been established. I mean, I've been here this long. They obviously know I'm committed. I'm here. Well, if you're just there and you're just taking up space and you're not engaging, how are they supposed to know that you're still in it like you were in the beginning? Because that can fade and people can start questioning and it's only human to need that reassurance at times. That is the work of being in a long-term relationship. But for some people, it's too much work or they're not used to having to do it or they don't know how to do it or they're just not willing. They just don't want to do any of that. They like the beginning. They like when it's fun and that's about as much as they want. So this boredom thing, I think, is a huge barrier to commitment. But I also think that in this disposable culture we have now, this disposable dating culture on the internet, there's also a certain component of dehumanization. We're no longer seeing a person as a person who has feelings and has experiences and maybe some wounds and goals and fears and insecurities, we're seeing this person as their height, their body type, their occupation, their, their tax bracket, <clears throat> their uh, basically who they are on paper. It's no longer a person. It's no longer a human being. It's like, it's like a menu. There's something that lacks humanity in this. And I do think that that gets in the way of people being able to commit to that. Well, this is who I am on paper. This is who you are on paper. And this is nice for a bit, but when it gets human, when emotions come in and complications and conflict and traumas and family of origin experiences and all of that and the work is required that's where people are like whoa 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 what is this you're no longer this well-traveled well-read securely employed active um tall slender person now you're human and you've got flaws and I got to be in for this. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what relationship is. Yes, yes, you have to be in for that. That's, that's what you chose. So in this dehumanizing, in this disposable thing, it often leads people to cheat, which is a huge barrier to commitment. Now, cheating is interesting because... Well, everybody has a, def a different definition for what cheating is. For one person, it's 
any type of sexual touching, kissing, uh, getting naked with someone. For other people, it's uh, flirting with somebody, texting with somebody, sexting with somebody. Basically, it varies. And I think that a lot of couples don't get clear with one another around what they consider to be cheating. There may be this assumption that cheating just means I have sex with someone outside of our relationship. But really, that may be what cheating is for you, but to your partner, it may be that. And watching pornography and turning me down for sex. And it's also texting your exes or sending them inappropriate pictures or receiving inappropriate pictures because that feels like a betrayal to some people. It's you giving your energy and attention to someone else, to something else, and not me. And with that in mind, it's a betrayal. It's, I'm not getting all of you. I'm getting bits and pieces and somebody else is getting you as well when you have committed to me and not them and so that's hurtful so i think the internet also brings with it i think some people have called it micro cheating where you know an old flame slides into your dms or texts you or somehow reaches out to you and you start engaging and you're chatting and you share about where you are in life together right now and apart and your memories of your relationship and you know oh I took a selfie here it is you know I thought I looked cute but I still want to share it and it can escalate from there and before you know it somebody could be meeting up with an ex and at what point do we consider that whole sequence of events At what point did they start cheating? Was it in communicating with the ex in the first place? Was it when the communications went from just casual, how's life, how's the weather, where you're living to, you know, we had a good thing. Is that where the line is? I think it's something to consider. And I often tell people, if your partner is sitting right there, reading your text messages, reading your exchange, at what point do you think they would become uncomfortable? Because I think that's the point at which you could say you're starting to kind of dip your toes into betrayal land. That's where you're starting to do things that are going to be hurtful, not only to your partner, but also damaging to your relationship. Hence, a barrier to your commitment. So... I think these are things to consider given the complications that the internet brings into our relationships today. So, um, yeah, I hope you're able to recommit. I hope that 2020 is a year where you're able to really take stock of your relationship. Where are you at? Are you holding up your end of the bargain in this commitment? Do you feel like you're missing anything from your partner? Do you feel like you're getting too much of something? Are you curious about trying something without wanting to hurt the commitment? Might be, um, might be a conversation that needs to happen. So 
I hope this is some food for thought for you guys because commitment is such a broad topic and it's complicated and there's so many things that get in the way. We didn't even touch on fear of commitment just out of not wanting to feel stifled or trapped. Lots of people have that. That's like a whole other thing. We kind of touched on that in our attachment episode, but that's a whole other layer is a person's internal emotional state. We mostly just kind of talked about the internet and dating and what it is nowadays and how people view one another. Maybe that's an idea for yet another episode. Well, in the meantime, thank you for listening. Please feel free to give me feedback, ask questions, comments, concerns, queries, compliments, complaints, whatever it is you feel the need to share. And thanks for listening and catch me next time at Undressing the Issue.